Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans? And we're continuing in chapter 15. So Romans and chapter 15. Romans 15. So over the last three weeks, we've been working our way through that first section of Romans 15, uh, from verse 1 through there to verse 7, looking at what Paul tells us about the strong and the weak, and how the strong have the obligation to bear with the infirmities, with the weaknesses, with the failings of the weak. And likewise, as we've been learning earlier in chapter 14, he was saying the weak ought not to judge the strong. So within a local church context, that applies to all of us, weak, strong, bad, or indifferent. We have an obligation to bear with the infirmities, with the failings and the weaknesses of one another. And essentially, what is that hope? How can we, what what is the example to look at that? And as people of God, we know that the only example, the only true example, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the hope of all people. And in this context here, Jews and Gentiles, essentially all people. And we looked at that and we were blessed learning last week about how Christ is our hope. And in continuing in that, I want us to focus quite simply there on verse 13. Very simply, verse 13, the hope of Christ. I'm going to read it. I'll read it again later, but I'll read it, then I'll pray, and we'll get into the word of God. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Our grace and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Father, for its clarity. And we pray, Lord, that you would make it clear to us right now that as we open the scriptures, as we search the scriptures through the the verses in which we will find ourselves in, Lord, may you help us, may you cause us to abound in hope through the hope of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans, Romans as a book itself, is... As we've come to see, as Paul is seeking to emphasize that ultimately, okay, the purpose of life is to glorify and worship God. And man, in our weakness, in our deadness, we did not do that. We were not doing that. We had no hope of doing that. The ultimate purpose of man is to worship God, to sing his praises, and to serve him only. But we chose to serve and praise ourselves. In that, we emphasize and establish the fact that we, by birth, were enemies of God. We were incapable of worshiping him in truth. We were incapable of complete obedience in and of ourselves. And we daily suppressed those truths. We suppressed the righteousness of God in wicked actions and wicked thoughts. We, as sinners, were under the wrath of God. It is God that must make sinners holy. It is God that must make our bodies living sacrifices for him, holy and acceptable, in his presence. And that's what exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Paul says that God received us 
Christ received us. So we in like manner ought to receive one another. We have been brought into the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, which is peace, which is joy in the Holy Spirit. But we were incapable of such. But because of Jesus' righteousness, we have hope in doing what is right. We have hope in doing that which pleases God. Jesus loved us. Jesus died for us. Therefore, in believing in him, we now can walk in love and righteousness and die for one another. Paul makes it quite clear. No one can be saved unless they bow the knee to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's unequivocal about that. Jesus, the son of David, unless we confess in him and him alone, we have no hope of justification. We have no hope of salvation. In Romans 15, 12, we earlier read last week, Paul makes the point that, uh, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. And our church, which consists primarily of Gentiles, the odd uh, Jewish person in there as well, but we fulfill that, I, I, that, pro, that prophecy of Isaiah. Paul also writes, In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, i.e., he's talking about himself, the Jewish people, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. All people of God, saved by God's grace, Jew or Gentile, are to praise the triune God. We are God's new creation. And we exist for the purpose of his praise. Now, here in Romans 15, verse 13, Paul is praying, and he says there, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Among the many things we want to look at this, evening, this morning, sorry, I want to start by looking at this God of hope. This God of hope. Paul there defines him, the God of hope. There's many things that we hope for in this life. You know, we hope for health and wealth and material blessings. But this isn't the hope that Paul is talking about. In and of themselves, they, there's nothing wrong in hoping to stay healthy. There's nothing wrong in hoping to work and amass wealth. That in and of itself is not wrong. Paul here is talking about the hope of great spiritual blessing, which is the eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Our God is the God of this hope. This hope that we have in life, that hope that attacks our physical and our spiritual being. It's not the hope itself, but the hope to stay healthy, the hope that all is going to go well. The hope that if I take this course of action, it is going to go well with me. Well, that hope can, can find nowhere of stability apart from the Lord God. 
There is no promise that if you do the right thing, you're going to get the right outcome outside of God himself. You know, I'm from uh, Nigeria, and I remember one of my friends was seeking to return home to work, and he did. He went from the UK back to uh, work as a, uh, was he, he was working in finance, some sort of financial department. And in, in essence, within that banking or finance, he was seeing corruption. And he said to himself, this, I've got to do something about this. I've got to speak up. And he went to see, speak to his superior, and they were like, well, that's, that's just the way things are. You know, you need to get with a program. Unless you do this as well, you're just going to fail. You'll never advance. Here's a man seeking to do the right thing within a context where the right thing can actually work against him. That's not always the case, but how often do we find such? God is the only source of hope that in doing the right thing, he will reward us, he will uphold us. Earlier, Paul told us that the scriptures give us hope. What did he say there, verse, chapter 15, verse 4? He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Here he says that God gives us hope in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 13. You know, which one is correct? Is it the scriptures that give us hope or is it God that gives us hope? Truth is, God gives us the hope of a great future that is waiting for us. A future of dwelling with him forever. In the new heavens and the new earth. It's God that gives us that hope. But that hope comes to us through the reading and the studying of his word. For example, we read, we read from Revelations earlier, just earlier. In Revelations chapter 21, verse 3 and 4, we read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have passed away. These verses ought to give us hope. They ought to give us hope. Yet some Christians, some believers, you know, we oftentimes slip into deep, uh, I'm not going to call it depression, it's not my place to call it and diagnose it, but we slip into deep, dark moments of instability, lack of assurance. It's nothing foreign to me myself. But oftentimes when you dig a little deeper to those folks who are so down, and oftentimes rightly there's difficulties in our lives, you will find not all the time but often a, a, a lack of stability in faithfully reading the word of God and reading it and trusting in it. The whole Bible declares the good news, the gospel. How can we be unhappy when we hear the good news of God? This is the power of God, the, the very power of God unto salvation. How, reading that, can we slip into a moment of just what's going to happen? God has given us hope. And scripture reveals to us the, the true and living triune God. And in him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have the abundance of hope, the abundance of grace that we need. Our God is a God of all comfort. 
the God of all grace, the God of all peace, the God of all hope, the God of all joy, and the God of all love. And he fills us with that fullness. Sadly, those who don't believe in God have no such hope. They're without God in the world. I don't say that with any sorts of pleasure. It's distressing to speak to people and encounter hopelessness. And that's where we come in. That's where we come in. We are to meet people in that midst of hopelessness. Yesterday, uh, February uh, 4th, uh, uh, marked uh, two years since my mum passed and encountered a week of just different struggles and trials back and forth, both with that, without and within. But I know that the God of comfort, who comforted me when I needed comforting, comforted in me that I might comfort others, that I might be there for others. And that's not easy. You know, that's not easy at all. We, we, you know, pastor was mentioning uh, just before he left as he talked about you know, people who may not have encountered death or struggle in their lives. And until that, for me, I had not. Until the passing of my mum, I'd never been to a funeral. My, my, my grandparents had passed, but they were in Nigeria. They were far, they were departed from me. I wasn't really had that relationship with them. So I didn't know. But because of God's people, and ultimately because of his word, <clears throat> in the misery, the gloom, the fear, the anxiety, I was comforted. I was helped. I was filled with hope. I read God's word, I prayed, I sang, and looking back, you know, I realized that God used that, meant all of that for my good. And that's hard to reconcile without the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, it's hard to reconcile what is the point of all of this. God gives us hope. I remember during a, a study at Harvard in uh, the 1950s, uh, a doctor named Kurt Richer, he placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. On average, they'd give up and sink after 15 minutes. But right before they gave up, due to exhaustion, those researchers would pluck them out, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes, and put them back in for a second round. Now, in that second round, how long do you think they lasted? So, after 15 minutes, they're about to plunge, and they bring them out, dry them off, put them to one side, and then give them some time to rest, then put them back in for a second round. How long? Another 15 minutes? Another 30 minutes? Maybe an hour? The study said 60 hours. 60 hours those rats continued to just stay. The conclusion drawn was that since the rats believed that eventually they would be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what was previously thought impossible. 
and the conclusion of that was that if, you know, for us to leave, what thought might we leave with that? If hope can, create, can cause exhausted rats to swim for a long, what could believing in yourself and your own abilities do for you? Remember what you are capable of. Remember why you are here. And that's nice, that's heartwarming. But Romans has sought to dispel all of that. Hoping in ourselves, we're still going to be drowning. However long we swim, we're still going to drown. Our hope must be in something outside of ourselves. It has to be. If I hope in myself, the kind of man that I am, the failures that I've done, I'm going to fail over and over again. I might, you know, strengthen myself. I might swim a bit longer. I might go and use the gym and maybe extend that a little bit longer. But eventually, I will succumb. We all will. We ought not to hope in man as we will always let each other down. True believers put our hope in God. We put our hope in God. And that shines brighter every single time and every single day. So much so that Paul says in Romans 13 verse 11, and do, and do this, understanding that the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And if you don't believe in the salvation, look at yourself in the mirror. God of hope. Soon we shall meet God. Soon we'll be with him forever. God is our portion. God is our inheritance. God is our dwelling place. God is our shield. He's our great reward. So let's hope in God. It's not just a God of hope. Paul tells us that he is the God who fills us with joy and with peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul's next point is that God will fill us with hope and joy and peace. God does not want us to be without joy and peace. His desire is to fill us with the overflowing graces that he bestows upon us. The kingdom, his kingdom, is one of love, righteousness, peace, and joy. When God dwells in us, when he fills us with joy and peace, Paul says we are now able to do immeasurably more than what we once were. Many of us have had periods where we're we're running on empty, you know, running on fumes, as it may be. And that's because of the, you know, our physical frailties. We get weak. We need to rest. We need to take time away. But that ought not to be something that comes from deep below in in our spirit, in our soul, because we have a spirit of joy. A spirit of strength that is drawn from the Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we will be filled with joy and peace. Does that mean we're always going to be happy? Absolutely not. There is a distinction between momentary, temporary, everyday happiness that can fluctuate from time to be, um, time being. There's a distinction between that and the eternal joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you want peace? Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do you want joy? Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen.
miserable? Are you anxious? Are you confused? Are you running on empty? If so, well, I'm sure there must be, because I know, <laughs> I know for a fact I'm there. And as much as you might direct someone to, yeah, you know, take rest, you know, much of my uh, um, weaknesses and running on empty is my own fault. Like, I'll go to my work, but I remember once saying to my manager that, you know, I've got, she, she looked at my annual leave and she saw that I still had 20 days left and it was December. And she was like, what, what have you been doing through the year? And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't really get sick. I don't really, you know, I don't really need my holidays like that. You know, my holidays are really for my children. When they're off, I'll use it, you know, I'll take it for them. And she's like, that's, that's a, a sure way to, to burn out. That's a steady steep towards just keeling over. Your rest is important. And I wasn't doing that. I had to learn that quite quickly. But beyond the, the physical need for rest that we all have, the physical need to encourage people to take time away, you know, we thank God that we have had the, the, the ability and, and the, the resource to be able to send pastor on, on, on a month's sabbatical to take rest, to recover, to replenish, so that when he returns, he will just be encouraged to press on. It's needed. It's, it's essential. But beyond that, we must be directing one another to the only place that's going to give us that abounding peace and joy and strength. That is the word of God. Listen to God's word and pray that God may fill you with his word. In another place, Paul prayed that we may know this love that surpasses knowledge. It says that in Ephesians chapter 3, 19 that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow within him. joyless, gloomy, baptized in, 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 in lemon juice Christians will never be able to advance, will never be able to be spiritually uh, mature enough to uplift others if we're not tapping into the word of God and the word of God alone. If we're drawing from ourselves, we're going to find places that are empty. When we become so, I don't know, self-absorbed and self-centered to think that it's me that's going to refresh not just myself but others, we're heading down a slippery slope. True believers who meditate on the Word of God, who meditate on the Scriptures, are those who radiate joy. Such things will change our interactions, not just face-to-face, -face, but in social media, in our workplaces, within our homes. We'll be much more pleasant parents, brothers, sisters, children, even children to, uh, to adult children to parents. We'll change the complexion of how we live. We will radiate joy. May God fill us with all joy and peace today. This God of hope, this God who fills us with joy and peace, what is this based on? Paul says that the God of hope who fills us with all joy and peace in believing in believing. 
that's, 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 a, that's a verb, that's a, that's a doing that is continual. Not just that we believed at one point in our lives. Not just that we were trusting at that point at which we were facing troubles. We are to trust and believe in God daily. Surrender to him unconditionally. And with doing this, we will demonstrate obedience within our faith. Believing Christians are obedient Christians. Faith without works is dead. You know, we know that. That is the faith of demons. But by faith, we have united ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now we, as he, is, you know, he talks about the Gentiles who have tapped root into that root of Jesse, now we have sprung out like branches. We ourselves now, being united with Christ, who is the vine from who flows all the spiritual graces, we would be those who are faithful and demonstrate that faithfulness in our obedience to his word. Faith comes to us how? By hearing the word of God, thank you. And saving an obedient faith is that gift of God. It's not something that we work our way into. Faith in and of itself is the gift. But in doing so, in believing, it is a continual trusting, surrendering, obeying. We are believing God when we believe in his word of grace. Paul told the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the full gospel, the whole counsel of God. And then he says to them, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. A graceless person is one who refuses to read, to hear, and believe the word of God. The primary means of grace is God's word. Continually in Paul's letters, you know, uh, 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 um, he will start the letter by introducing himself or who else, Timothy, Sylvanus, whoever. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in different forms be with you. And he says, communicating that grace. You know, or he might say, I pray that the grace of God be with you. And then he'll end the letter with, the grace be with you. Somewhere believing that in the middle of that proclaiming, I pray that God's grace be with you. No. Then you have the letter, the grace now be with you. Emphasizing that it is the grace that has come through the word itself. The grace and goodness of God comes through the word of God. When we hesitate to proclaim that, if we're proclaiming otherworldly things, otherworldly means to sustain us, to uplift us, to encourage us, we are in fact displaying a lack of trust in the word. Again, the primary means of grace is God's word preached. primary means of grace is the preached word of God. And what's the purpose, the purpose of all of it? What is the purpose of knowing that God is the God of hope? That he might fill us with joy and peace. That we might be believing and continually believing. The purpose that we might abound in hope. There, uh, 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 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
that the purpose is that we might abound, that we might go forth in hope. And that hope is a faith that is directed towards the future. Paul told the church in Philippi, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. We can't believe in a limited sovereignty of God. Through hoping in what God has in store for us, it contextualizes every single experience that we have. Every difficulty we go through, when looked at through the lens of the hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it changes its nature. We can no longer be so downcast about struggles when we know that all things work to our good and for the good of all those who believe in him. Paul told the church here in Rome back in chapter 8 that not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. This is the first installment. Adoption as sons and daughters of God. But we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. often here, and I'm, I'm encouraged by those who tell us that, you know, we don't sing enough about heaven. And I know it, I don't. There's so many songs that we sing, but singing about our eternal hope that's coming. We have been promised that everything we experience today, everything we go through, bears no comparison. Bears no comparison to the joy that Jesus will bring and give to us. This hope is a sure and a certain hope. It's not something that we can maybe take a little bit and go home and ponder about its eligibility. This is a certain and a sure hope. We are united with Christ in his death as well as his resurrection. Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. Our hope is a living hope that rests upon the living Jesus Christ. Christ is our life. And the Lord Jesus, who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, this hope is guaranteeing us a future salvation. Of course, those who refuse to receive it, well, they're, they're always going to be hopeless. Because it's the resurrection of Christ that is the basis for our spiritual and physical resurrection. You know, what, does Paul say, what does Paul say in the, to, the, to the church in Corinth when you know, they're saying that you know, if, if, Christ is not, if Christ didn't die, no, if Christ didn't die, I wouldn't be here. I would leave. There's nothing, we don't, even if we gather to have a good time, there's no point being here. Because if Christ doesn't die, you are still in your sins and there is still no hope. But because Christ has died, because you have believed in this, there's hope for tomorrow. It's in this hope that believers can say, to die is gain. That is ridiculous. You know, if this life is 
all that there is is so precious. To say to die is gain is the, the height of foolishness. But if in dying we are present with the Lord, not only will we cherish this life more for his glory and for his goodness, making use of the gifts and the resources that he's given us, there is the hope that whatever comes tomorrow, I'm going to be with him. In Romans 15 verse 13, Paul is praying that the God of hope will make us overflow with hope. We're bursting forth with hope. Christ himself has guaranteed the future for his people. When he says that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the first trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us. So when I can be with people who, you know, have, are suffering in the midst of death, you know, and oftentimes I, you know, find that as people of God, we eagerly want to go and share the word of God with people who are in in, who are suffering, and that in and of itself is a good thing, you know. Someone is, we, we can't dampen that. Where sometimes our presence is enough, you know, someone who is in grief, quoting scriptures to them might not be the first point of call at that time. Just being present with them and being an arm around them. Is sufficient. But there will come a time when they need hope. When, 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 when the tears have faded away, when, when, when the, the looking towards nothingness, wondering what tomorrow is going to bring starts to come, that's when we come with the hope of God's word. That overflowing of abundant hope. Our mission is to bring uh, sinners to Christ. Our mission is to share the word of God with all people. And there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a way of using strategy and discernment to, to, to think about that. And, you know, we, we need to grow in maturity in that area. But that doesn't change the fact that it is only the word of God that's going to pull us out of the depths of Sheol out of the depths of darkness. Nothing else. Our destiny is nothing less than glory. So we overflow with strong hope, certain hope, fixed hope, living hope. We are anchored to Christ who lives in heaven. Christ who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life. This hope is not an idle dream. That's, that's what I'm seeking to, to emphasize, that this hope is not an idle dream that you might hear from a poet. It is an absolute reality. And why? Because God himself has promised it. This isn't me making it up. This isn't me trying to give everyone a pep talk this morning so the next week we can go and try our best. This is God saying to us, if you are in Christ, you have hope for tomorrow. So we abound in hope, in God, in his uh, given Messiah. And we hope for the fullness of our salvation 
and for our glorification. And all of that is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The overflowing of hope comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The Father planned our salvation. The Son executed our salvation. Now the Holy Spirit, by his mighty power, applies this glorious salvation to every elect sinner. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That hope is applied by the Spirit. Through faith in Christ, we receive all grace to bring forth the fruit of obedience. But that same Holy Spirit empowers and teaches the truth of God's word. He produces the fruit that lies within us. I mean, do you have hope? Do you have hope? Without trusting in the true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cannot say that is true. Your hope cannot be something that is tangible. The reason for our misery is our continual refusal to humble ourselves and trust in Christ. what we communicate to all peoples if you do not want to trust in Christ you have no hope you will die in your sins and the wrath of God will remain upon you the only hope you have is Jesus Christ and we can't mince those words because this is about life and death if you truly care for someone you're going to tell them the truth you're not going to skirt around it to try to be pleasant, to try to be nice, to try to get through the day or that, that work day or that encounter. You're going to tell the truth and you're going to deal with the consequences of that truth going out there, which eventually might not be pleasant. The word of God doesn't promise us that when we tell people the truth, they're going to receive it gladly. When I'm told to take out the bins and I don't take them out, and I receive the truth of that, I don't receive it very nicely. If I'm told that I'm still in my sins and there is no hope for me, I'm not going to receive it. I won't. Except for the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that drew me to Jesus Christ. It wasn't no logic. It wasn't no, 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 no rhetoric. It was the Holy Spirit applying the gospel of God to my heart, to your heart, that drew us to Jesus Christ. That must be our trust. I urge us, friends, to cry out to God, to pray, Lord, have mercy upon me. The worst sinner on the face of the earth. Save me, continually save me, draw me to your son. My weaknesses are there and there for all to see. Fill me with your goodness. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. That I may encourage others to look to you. When we pray these things, God is faithful to hear us. You think we want to receive God's grace and hope and mercy and peace more than he wants to give it? Absolutely not. He delights in showering us with his mercies. And we open our mouths as Jesus did and tell others to come unto him. Come to him and drink and eat. Come with your, with your hands empty, your pockets empty with nothing. 
Come to him and he will bestow upon you all the graces of the Lord God. Romans 15 and 13 is a prayer for all of us. And it expresses the normal Christian life. Paul is not praying, understand this, Paul is not praying for some super Christians to abound in hope. That is for all of us. We are all to abound in hope. We all must pray that we may be overflowing with joy, with peace, with hope. May God deliver us from our our wickedness, our arrogance, our self-sufficiency. May we humble our hearts and may we trust in the Son, Jesus Christ, who exudes hope, peace and joy. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I, I thank you, Father, for the hope that I have, that we have in Jesus Christ. Were it not for the hope that we have in Christ, we all would likewise perish. We have nothing else to stand on but him and him alone. Father, I pray that you would cause us by your spirit to abound in hope. That every trial and triviality every momentary happiness, every success that we experience in this life, may it be washed by the hope of Jesus Christ. May it be seen through the lens of the hope of Jesus Christ. May we be thankful because of the hope that we find in Christ. Help us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.